Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Hello everybody. Welcome to Brainwaves on 3CR, 855 on your dial, supported by Wellways. I'm really excited to be bringing this episode to you today. And my name is Flick Manning. You've heard me on here before, but I'm ready to have a fantastic chat with our guest today, Peter Hook. Now, before I bring her on, I just wanted to make sure that we do, of course, cover our trigger warnings. This is a show about mental health. Therefore, it can be triggering for some people that are listening. It is a lived experience lens that we discuss. So it's important to point out that not everyone has the same experience with mental health. And that's part of the reason why we do this show, to kind of destigmatize any perceptions we have around mental health. You will be hearing about mental health and disability in this episode. So if you or someone you know needs support, please head to wellways.org where our team can help you today. As I said, I'm your host, Flick Manny, and I'm thrilled that you're choosing to spend some time listening to Brainwaves today on 3CR. And I'm going to be having a conversation with my wonderful guest today, Peter Hook, who I've admired for some time for the critical work she's doing in the advocacy space. Before we dive into that conversation, I want to take a moment to acknowledge that this interview is being held on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, lands where sovereignty has not been declared, lands where stories live and have been told for generations. And I pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging of First Nations and Torres Strait Islander descent who may be listening today. So without further ado, let me introduce Peter Hook to the show, who is the creator and the host of the I Can't Stand podcast. She's a 30-something lady living in Melbourne with cerebral palsy. Peter is a passionate advocate for the disability community through educating on what it is actually like to live with a disability. And on the I Can't Stand podcast, Peter answers questions from her audience about disability, as well as chatting to other disabled people to understand what it is like for them living with a disability. Peter, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Absolute pleasure. Now, for those that don't know you very well, who might be listening in from home or driving home today, can you just introduce yourself and tell our lovely listeners a little bit more about who you are and why you do what you do? Hello, everyone. It's lovely to meet you, even if it just means over the radio. My name, my name is Peter Hook. As Flick said, I'm a disability advocate and I have a podcast called I Can't Stand. And I am passionate about educating people of what it is like to live with a disability because at the moment I feel like there's still such a an old stereotype that having a disability is a tragedy by default. And I'm you know, I like to think that my life is happy and very fulfilling and I'm all about trying to illustrate all different experiences that it is to be disabled in today's society. Fantastic. I'd love to know what does the term mental health mean to you? Well, mental health for me personally is quite a challenging concept because as somebody who was born with their disability, being cerebral palsy, I don't know what it's not like to have a disability and often when I meet people or I interact with people they think that I have mental health issues just because of my disability with the perception of how difficult my life is 
And while I want to point out that my life is challenging at times, for me personally, I haven't struggled with mental health from a clinical perspective. I mean, of course, we all have bad days, but I feel very privileged that I've always had pretty positive mental health. And I want to say and acknowledge that that isn't the case for everybody with a disability. And I think that, again, you've made a a great point there that, you know, as we try to acknowledge with this show, not everybody's experience of mental health is the same. And it's not always about a clinical or formal diagnosis of a mental health condition. It can be very experienced or event-based. Now, growing up, can you recall the first time that you recognised yourself as disabled? And what did that mean to you? I was brought up in a very old school way, Flick. So I was born in the 90s to give people a bit of context and my parents taught me that I wasn't disabled. And I know for many listeners that might seem very confusing and it probably, you know, with a 2022 lens that we have sitting here today, it's probably not the most ideal way of, of you know, instilling disability pride and, and for me to feel comfortable with myself as having a disability. But because I was brought up in a way of thinking that I just couldn't walk and that was my limitations, I didn't see myself as disabled until well into my 20s. Wow. Okay. And what was kind of Maybe was there a defining moment or an event that happened for you that triggered that recognition of your disability? I think it's been an ongoing process for me to consider the word disability or disabled to not have a negative connotation and that's where I've been able to consider myself being disabled as not being less than by the connotations of the word. So for me, I always really pushed against that and said, I'm not disabled because I'm not less than. With a more educated head on my shoulders, I now know that disability doesn't have anything to do with being less than. If anything, I think we're pretty awesome for living the life that we do with the challenges that many of us face. But you know, it is an ongoing education for me every day of what it means to be disabled and I'm still stepping into, you know, my my positive disability pride self. Fantastic. And, yeah, absolutely, it's quite the journey. It's a very layered journey having a disability and I can speak to that being disabled myself and I fully recognise what it is that you're saying Now, when it comes to, you know, that process of recognition, obviously you mentioned how you you grew up not being taught that you were disabled, in fact, that you just simply had a a limitation. Was it the world around you that do you feel sort of gave you this view before you came into that recognition yourself that disability was sort of a connotation for a whole range of different not-so-good things? And if so, how did that make you feel? Absolutely. I think you could only be you know, from the age of four going to kindergarten and being told, oh, they're the different ones over there and, you know, they're special and those sort of patronising connotations that people use the word special towards. I wanted to be special in my own way but not in that negative connotation. So it really, from a very early age, made me think of myself as maybe unique 
rather than special and to really try and fit into a mainstream connotation of what it is to be human. Um, but yes, it, it's definitely a process and I think whatever the the journey the listeners might be on today whether they have, you know, if they do have a disability, even as someone who has a physical disability sitting here talking to you in an electric wheelchair, it can be a process for all of us. So never feel bad that you might not feel that great about having a disability. It is a long, a long ongoing process for all of us. That's great advice for our listeners. Absolutely. Very recently, actually, one of one of the posts, I think you wrote an article about your experience with doing some aeroplane travel recently and sort of sort of touched on that it was sort of quite a traumatizing and stressful experience to have to go through. If you don't mind sort of a good touch on that button just a little bit, but if you could just tell our listeners a little bit about what that experience was for you and sort of how that caused you stress so that they can understand because a lot of people just don't have this same lived experience. And this is part of the reason why I love doing the podcast because I feel like these conversations weren't even possible even five years ago. So to have the opportunity to really highlight the barriers that people with disabilities do face because, um, to be honest, I feel like a lot of people think, well, people with disabilities shouldn't have the right to travel because travel is a privilege and, you know, they, you know, let's let's focus on things, very important things, don't get me wrong, like employment and housing and all those things, but travel is still part of life. And I went to a wedding in Cairns this year and I knew it was going to be an issue because I can't transfer myself out of my wheelchair. My disability doesn't allow me to do that. And that means that I can't access a toilet on an aeroplane because the aeroplane's toilets are just simply too small to fit an aisle chair, which is the sort of wheelchair that goes on an aeroplane. So as much as I love travel to the point where I have a degree in it, it really, there's a huge barrier there that almost makes it impossible because I'm determined on where I can go based on my ability to hang on for the toilet. Wow. So obviously uh, going from here to the UK or something like that would be an extraordinary challenge. So you just have to sit on the plane and hold it. Well, yes. I mean, and a lot of people say, why don't you use a catheter? Um, but I don't I don't use catheters. I mean, I guess I, I might have to, if, if this is the only way that it means I have to travel. But I just think if any other minority was asked to put in a catheter because they couldn't uh, you know, access a bathroom, that wouldn't be okay. So why is it okay to ask disabled people to do that? Absolutely. So obviously, you know, even in terms of just booking your tickets, getting through security, all of those kinds of things, do you find the whole event then really, this thing that you're looking forward to, is that become like a trigger for a really stressful situation for just the day of travel or is it something leading up to it that you're also, it's weighing on your mind? I've been I've been privileged enough to travel quite a bit and if I go overseas to travel it can take up to a year 
to plan to go overseas. So there's no spontaneity when it comes to my disability. Um, And when so much planning is involved in this sort of action, it is inherently stressful because it means that so much can go wrong, so much miscommunication can happen. Um, But to be honest, the airport is the hardest bit um, because it's so not attuned to disabled needs or even disabled people travelling full stop. That's amazing that in this day and age it's still that far behind, but it sort of is a common thread across so many structures and systems in society really, which is very, very sad. But obviously, as I mentioned before, you've actually got a degree in tourism. So what made you decide to get into that? Did you have a knowledge of all of these sort of blockers that were being placed before you started that degree? So I have a master's degree in tourism and it. I decided to go into this area. I was on a cruise ship when I was 16 and I was waiting for the lift and the lift doors opened and there was a lovely lady who had vision impairment and her husband was in a manual wheelchair and he had an assistance dog. And that very moment of me standing there going, wow, how did they get here? Where does the dog go to the toilet on the ship? Like just very basic things just lit a fire in me and I'm like, wow, if they can do it, then let's try and help more disabled people experience the world. And that's where the passion really has come from. It continues to burn bright in my soul, but I have to say it's a very challenging industry to actually listen to the fact that there are disabled customers. Wow. What a moment. What a moment of recognition of of others and other people's disabilities. And isn't it wonderful when that spark goes off in your brain? Peter, you have cerebral palsy and you use a wheelchair, as you mentioned. What do people assume your mental state is like when they find out about your health? They assume that I don't have a full life and that I really, really struggle. And I'm always hesitant to talk about my mental health, to be honest, because there's a lot of guilt there in knowing that I have been very privileged, that that hasn't been my reality, at least yet. So, you know, while I'm always cognizant that mental health is an ongoing thing that we all have to manage, um, to be honest, people's expectations of my mental health couldn't be further from reality. So would you say that their their expectations are much lower than what you know your reality to be? Ah, yes, that old chestnut. Everything with disability is all about low expectations. That is very true. It's very sad, but it's very true. So just taking you back maybe into your childhood a little bit and growing up now, I know that you mentioned that your family obviously raised you to sort of think that you don't have a disability, that it's just that you can't use your legs. How did you go speaking with medical professionals, for example, in the ongoing treatment of your condition? How did they speak to you? What lens did they speak to you through about your disability? Uh, Now, that was quite a traumatic thing. You've hit the nail on the head there, uh, Flick. Uh, Often it was quite, it couldn't be, it was quite a dichotomy as far as like how I would be treated at school how I would be treated at home and then I'd walk into the hospital 
and I felt like I had to be I was something that had to be fixed and it, you know it was an ongoing thing of saying we're going to do x y and z and that might allow you to stand or it might allow you to walk now unfortunately all those operations didn't actually help in the long run but there is certainly and from speaking to other people on my podcast there's certainly an ongoing thread that many people feel alienated in the medical system. It is a strange thing when doctors look at you as a problem or as a set of symptoms and not actually as a human being and then they maybe don't take into account what what your wants and desires are for your life and how you want to live your life. And as you said, that can be deeply sort of you know traumatising. So do you find that that's sort of a you carry that sort of trauma with you, you know, when you know that you've got a hospital appointment coming up, what is the feeling that you have? Like what's the conversation that's happening in your head? I don't tend to have any medical appointments other than going to the GP anymore. Um, I've just sort of put and acknowledged that my disability is the way it is and until I see any degenerization, I don't plan on sort of engaging with that going forward unless I really have to. Um, But I am so triggered to the fact that if I ever have a friend that is in hospital, even in the maternity ward, I will go green and want to be physically sick. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear that and I fully understand. Again, it is a thread that runs through the disability community, whether it's a mobility issue, whether it's an autoimmune condition, chronic pain, um, an invisible condition, there is a lot of trauma that is often associated with that sort of medical system and the way in which spoken to or treated. If we've got any listeners today that that are doctors or nurses, they're looking perhaps to take that as a career, what is one piece of advice that you could give to them about how to approach and discuss a disability with their patient? Look, I'm not a medical expert, from, but from the interactions that I've had throughout my life, I think a really good start would be for the medical professional to try and put themselves in our shoes. Now, you know, that that might seem a quite an unrealistic thing to ask, but I think really it's about medical professionals seeing us as humans first rather than just our diagnosis. And in fact, disability can happen to anyone at any age and they could be us before they know it. So again, that's such poignant advice. Thank you for sharing that as well. So Petty, you seem like you are a very ambitious person and often, you know, ambitious people who have got big goals, they've got big dreams, they're trying to chase them. uh, And it puts you in a certain mental space when you're an ambitious, goal-orientated person. But then you also have ableism to take into account in our society. Have you experienced people or structures placing barriers on you in order that would then prevent you from actually reaching those goals or achieving those ambitions? And again, how do you mentally process that? Yes, from the very moment that I started to think about leaving school in year 12 and I went to the careers counsellor in my school and the careers counsellor said that I was being overly ambitious to want to go to university because people like me don't go to university. So I'm quite thankful that I disregarded that advice 
sitting here now with three qualifications. Uh, but that was really the first taste of being like, oh, my ambition and my intelligence doesn't seem to be enough in a lot of people's eyes. So you, I instinctively want to prove people wrong quite often. And by doing that, that often means that I'm a bit of a, of a perfectionist and I'm a workaholic. And that's something I really need to work on in myself because a lot of my self-worth does come from my work. Right. So there's a sense of identity in the work that you do. Absolutely. So look, overall, Peter, I know that your mental health is largely very positive and that's you know, a truly fantastic thing. As you've touched on yourself, that's not always the case for people with disabilities. And it can be event or circumstance based as well. So like when you are having to travel, you're going through that, you know, all the stuff at the airport, you're, you're dealing with all these extra things and probably people's eyes just fixated on you and looking at what you're doing and trying to kind of work it all out and that kind of stuff. Is there anything as a final message that you would want to say to our listeners that might be able-bodied about how they can help people like yourself maintain that positive mental state? What can they, what adjustments can they make in the world that would make that an easier task for someone like yourself? Well, first and foremost, I think if they can start visualising us as just humans first, rather than that other thing in the corner that they quite don't understand, because in actuality, we have a lot in common. And if they took the time to actively get to know people, disabled people as people, I think that would really help. You know, think about whether you have anybody in your workplace that has a disability. How many people do you follow on social media that have a disability? Being in, Having a positive influence of what disability actually is can be really helpful and really beneficial. So I would ask you and encourage you to those of you who are listening to say, where are the disabled people and why aren't they here with us? Because we should be. Yes, absolutely. Why aren't we there? Maybe, maybe something should be done about that and maybe you are in a position to help change it at home. Well, Peter, it's been fantastic to have this conversation with you. Thank you for sharing so much about your life, your goals and dreams, your experiences, and of course, sort of the events and circumstances that may have triggered some mental health for you over the years. If people at home would like to follow you, which I encourage that they do and jump onto your podcast, how can they reach you? So you can follow me on Instagram. My handle is my name at Peter Hook, P-E-T-A-H-O-O-K-E. Or my podcast is called The I Can't Stand Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. Fantastic. Trust me, I'm a follower of Peter on Instagram and she's got some fantastic things that she shares that we all need to be educated about. Thank you again, Peter, for the work that you're doing and thank you for sharing your time with us today on Brainwaves. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, listeners, for tuning in. You can catch this interview as a podcast and you can also catch us next week at 5pm Melbourne time on Wednesdays on 3CR, 855 on the dial. I am Flick Manning and as I sign off today, I'd ask you just to take a moment for yourself and your mental health brainwaves by taking a couple of deep, slow breaths, checking in with yourself and recognising that mental health is as important as physical health.
I'll see you next time. If you're wrestling with feelings of anxiety, worry, and depression, or finding the current social isolation measures hard to deal with, we would like to encourage you to call Wellways Helpline. Wellways Helpline is a volunteer support and referral service that provides information to people experiencing mental health issues or other disabilities, as well as their family, friends, and carers. We're here to talk if you are seeking information about mental health or mental health services, or just need someone to talk to. As a peer-based service, everyone working at Wellways Helpline has a lived experience of mental health issues or disability. Wellways Helpline is a national service and operates Monday to Friday, 9am to 9pm, excluding public holidays. If you feel it would be helpful to talk to someone about these issues during this difficult period, please call Wellways Helpline on 1300 111500. That's 1300 111500. Wellways supports 3CR. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.